Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. On today's show, we're going to be talking about simple and fun strategies to build attachment with adopted kids. This was such a fun and useful show. Here's a sample of what you're going to learn. Emotional looping. If you can imagine uh, playing catch with somebody, you know, you throw the ball, you throw it back. You throw the ball, you throw it back. We have emotional looping in that same way. We send emotion through words, through gestures to the other person, and they need to respond to us in a way that we we feel emotionally gratified or we feel heard, seen, responded to. And so for many children who have been in neglectful environments before they come into our homes, they don't know how to return the serve. I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly radio show, and we use the podcast model. That way you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Uh, Podcasting also allows you to subscribe to get notice of each new episode on whatever your listening device is. So you can subscribe by going to our website, radio page, which is creatingafamily.org slash radio show, or you can, whatever the app you're using to listen to this uh, right now, you can just go to that app and subscribe there as well. This show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer does not have to mean a loss of fertility. If you or a loved one are fighting cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medication through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can go to their website, heartbeatprogram.com. Or, of course, you can get information from your doctor um, if that would be if you're seeing an oncologist or reproductive endocrinologist. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited adoption agency placing waiting children from around the world, offering home study and post-adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. They place kiddos from Armenia, Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, Ukraine, and, and oh, by the way, they also do kinship adoptions. We have Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the U.S. And the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to adoption as well as assisted reproductive law. I need to tell you guys of something exciting that's coming up. 
On July 28th at 7.30 Eastern Time, we are doing a webinar on the importance of parental attachment style in adoption. Our guest expert will be Dr. Dan Siegel. He has written a book called, he's written quite a few books actually, The Whole Brain Child. You've probably heard of that book, but also Parenting from the Inside Out, of which we is, is much of the um, um, his discussion on, uh, on the importance of parental attachment can be found in that book. We are also doing a book club um, about the book, Parenting from the Inside Out. So what you need to do is get that book, Parenting from the Inside Out, uh, by Dr. Dan Siegel. And uh, we're going to be discussing it uh, daily for a week starting July 20th on the Creating a Family Facebook support group. Uh, So please join us there. Get the book. That's the first thing. And you will need to register for the webinar. Uh, We do have limited spaces, so you will have to register ahead of time. There is no charge. Uh, So go to our website and uh, just type in the words webinar, and it will bring you to that page. Uh, We would love to have you. I am really excited about that upcoming um, webinar. So we also have, I've just told you about our our gold sponsors, but please remember we also have other sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show as well as everything else we do around here uh, at Creating a Family. Uh, You can find these other service providers uh, at uh, the service provider directory on our site. You can search by location, services provided, years in operation, just a a host of criteria we think are important. Uh, And when you use these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. All right, today we're going to be talking about simple and fun strategies to build attachment with adopted kids. Our guest today is Deborah Gray. She is an adoption therapist and author of Attaching Through Love, Hugs, and Play, Simple Strategies to Help Build Connections with Your Child. She is also the author of a book called Attaching and Adoption, Practical Tools for Today's Parents. Welcome to Creating a Family, Deborah Gray, or maybe I should say welcome back because you have been on this show more than once. And it's always a pleasure, Don, to be interviewed by you and to be um, able to speak to your audience. I respect your show and respect the information that you bring to support families. Thank you. Well, thank you. I loved this book. Um, it, right before the show began, uh, you were saying that your intent was to create something, a, a kind of an attachment light. The importance, attachment is so darn important and we know, but it carries a certain, uh, even the term attachment kind of carries a weight. It's almost a burden that I think some parents feel. Uh, and this book is such a, uh, it's not a light book at all because the information is deep, but it's a fun book. Well, thank you for saying that, Don. I thought that if we had a book that simplified some of the complexity of the attachment language, putting it into everyday language, that that would help. And then when we're talking about ways to build attachment, doesn't a picture help a lot? So my yes. husband and I were talking about it, and he said, why don't I take some photos for, for your book, and we'll press in the service many of our friends and relatives to show some of these poses. So that's exactly what we did. Yeah, I love the pictures. I thought they they do help. Uh, pictures, you know, pictures always help. Okay, so it seems obvious, but but let's start with the, the very basics, which is why is attachment important to children and to parents? When we think about how children develop the ability to calm themselves, 
to connect emotionally to others and to their own feelings. Um, A lot of times it's hard to think about because it's so basic and it happens so early in life. Uh, The way it happens for most of us is through an attachment relationship. And when I mean an attachment relationship, I just mean those very closest bonds that we have that endure over time. So when we're working with small children, when we form attachment, what we're actually doing, it's kind of interesting to me, is we have a brain-to-brain connection with those kids. And over a period of time, we have brain firing patterns or brain patterns that our kids imitate and then actually their brain wiring starts to resemble ours regardless of whether we share any of the DNA their brains start to look like ours in the areas of the brain where we're looking at things like how do we calm ourselves how do we deal with anxious thoughts how do we deal with anxiety overall you know, how how ably do we engage others? Anyway, all of that is done through an attachment relationship. It gives us the template for being emotionally competent individuals. Now, obviously, it's not done. By the time we're three, I hope I have better ability to withstand stress than I did as a two- or a three-year-old. But it lays those uh, templates down. And so almost, go ahead, Don. I'm a little bit on a tear here. You know, the thing, it occurs to me that it seems like we run, Creating a Family runs a very large online support group. And uh, I can't remember, I think we're approaching 6,000 members at this point. And it seems like every day somebody is is posting that, their child has reactive attachment disorder or is uh, struggling with attachment. And all that because many people are adopting children who are at risk for that, certainly. But it seems that it's almost like it's a, 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 um, a diagnosis de jour or whatever, especially uh, reactive attachment. And not all that long ago, somebody had, had posted that their child had been in their house, I think maybe three months, maybe not even three months, and the child had already been diagnosed, not based on past, uh, but well, perhaps based on past uh, experiences, but based on the reaction to the child in that house. And it, as I was reading that the, the post, it occurred to me that, you know, I wonder if we don't have an unrealistic estimate of of how much time it takes to form attachment. Uh, so let me ask you, what is a realistic estimate on what it takes for a child and a parent to attach strongly and firmly? Yes, and I, I think it's, it's different at different ages uh, for children. So if you have a child who's never had an attachment relationship before or they've had one that are really not very positive, then when they come into your home, they'll pretty much relate to you in the way that they related to others. If they had orphanage caregivers, they'll keep you at arm's length. After all, that's what they learned. And is that an attachment disorder? I wouldn't think so. But if after a year where you're uh, reaching out to that child and you're extending yourself, say the child is three years older, older, um, I would say you'd want to get some professional help. It's not that you jump into 
some type of diagnostic process right away and fear the worst. But I think that you could certainly benefit from some support. One of the problems that, and, and for, but for babies, infants, we're, we're looking at shorter time frames. You know, so we want to get infant mental health specialists in much sooner. Almost every state has uh, services for early development. And a lot of the early developmental services for infant stimulation and, you know, birth to three uh, will assess and help parents free of charge uh, with some ways to build attachment to their child. It's very painful for parents when kids aren't attaching. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times parents will start to back off just to guard their hearts. It takes a lot of encouragement to be able to just keep with the warm, positive, nurturing attachment because you have to teach children that you're different than their past experience. You know, you're so right about it being painful. It's hard to, part of, of of what most of us have gone into parenting for is that emotional connection that we, we've imagined uh, in our heads and, and, and have seen um, in our friends and, and family that they have with their kids. And it's hard when your child doesn't respond the way that you think they should be responding in a way that meets your need, which sounds so selfish, but it, but it's just the truth. Well, it is. It, people are afraid to say something that, like that out loud. But as a matter of fact, one of the things that kids have to learn in their growing up years is to how to sustain their end of a gratifying close relationship. And it, it, it's fundamental to being part of a family. Yeah. understand the mind and heart of another and respond appropriately. Yeah. And you use the term emotional looping, which I love that term. Uh, what do you mean um, by that? Uh, define that term for us. Emotional. I'm sorry. I missed the word there. Emotionally. Um, emotional looping. Emotional. Looping. Uh, you use the term looping. emotional. Oh, yes. Looping. Sorry. I um, have just a bit of a cold, so I apologize to your audience. Uh, I missed that word. But emotional looping, if you can imagine uh, playing catch with somebody, you know, you throw the ball, you throw it back. You throw the ball, you throw it back. We have emotional looping in that same way. We send emotion through words, through gestures to the other person, and they need to respond to us in a way that we we feel emotionally gratified or we feel heard, seen, responded to. And so for many children who have been in neglectful environments before they come into our homes, they don't know how to return the serve so or to throw back. We, you know, we send something to them, and uh, as one little girl said to me, uh, my mother tells me she loves me, and I say, I know, or that's nice. And for some reason, she's mad about that. <laughs> what's the, you know, what's the problem? <laughs> and she really could not comprehend why that would be a problem. Her mother's yeah. giving her information. 
yeah. and uh, you know you can parents start to think well am i am i having a mental health problem myself here that i yeah. expect something back and then other people will say well you know all kids are kind of selfish or my child did that but we're looking at frequency and duration you know how often does another child uh miss the catch or or refuse to respond. And I don't call that necessarily as an, emo- an emotional um, failure, but over time we have to teach kids how to respond to others, you know, how to be aware of the heart and mind of another, and that's called theory of mind. So as we practice this emotional looping, we have to really stimulate kids so that they know how to respond in a reciprocal and positive way. Well, and each of us as adults has our own way of of what meets our need. I suppose there could be adults who would be okay with somebody who, uh, parents that would be okay with somebody saying, yeah, I know, you know, that might be an, an acceptable response for some people, but for others of us, we're going to need to hear, I love you too. Or when we hug, we want to feel hugged back, you know, we want that, the, the, the reciprocation, but um, so I guess that's the, the importance of knowing, of teaching our kids what's important to us. Yes, and so many of our kids have missed that beginning year, or most of that beginning year, where it's being done in a nonverbal way, and so we somehow lack the words to convey to them what we need. Instead, we get kind of stiff and hurt and back off, which is the very thing that they experienced in the beginning. So one of the reasons why I wrote the book was to normalize that lots of parents are going through this kind of process where the child isn't responding yet. They actually have to build um, some brain wiring so they can be responsive, and that takes a while. But to encourage parents to keep on a nurturing path that, you know, this is the most promising way to go. They don't have to get hardball or back off, but they can stay very warm and nurturing and be true to what they know about attachment. You know, in the book, as well as in both of the books that I mentioned, um, the Attaching and Adoption, as well as this current book, uh, Attaching Through Love, Hugs, and Play, we talk about kind of the, the foundation of attachment being eye contact and cuddles. We got this uh, email from Sonia. She says, my five-year-old son, who was adopted at three and a half, does not like to be cuddled. He's a rough and tumble all boy and likes to horseplay with both my husband and I. But if we try to cuddle or snuggle with him, he wiggles and giggles and just generally doesn't let us. Should we be, should we be worried about this? No, she shouldn't be worried about it. He's seeking contact with you. Some kids have a, a different system than we're expecting as far as how much pressure they want, how much excitement they want. And so... The the normal kind of mutually gratifying cuddling that parents are expecting, just sort of, you know, that's not in this child's repertoire. <laughs> they want to be thrown and tossed, and they like the heavier pressure. It's just a tactile, um, it's, it's one of the tactile variations. 
And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be worried about it. But as he gets a little bit older, she doesn't have to do it now. She can wait another year. Say, sometimes mommy likes a minute to go this way. So come over and let me show it to you. Oh, look at mommy's face. See how happy that makes me. So maybe when he's six, you could do that um, and work on that from six to seven. Yeah, and and particularly if he has some, you know, he's uh, a little on the hyperactive side. What is your opinion on reintroducing bottle feeding for older adopted kids? Um, I think it can be helpful for older (laughs) adopted children. However, I say this with a caveat. Um, I only reintroduce bottle feeding for older children. And when I mean older children, I'm looking like maybe up through... Uh, four, six, seven, eight, a a very occasional nine-year-old, but usually it's, you know, we're looking at that young where they miss a lot of nurturing. Sometimes that really helps them to start to think of the parents as very nurturing. And you can usually see if the child is, is moving towards that. You know, they seem to crave it. And that doesn't mean that they walk around with the bottle hanging out of their mouths. You just have a cozy time where you do some bottle feeding. And then later on, you can put the bottle aside and just do some rocking and singing. Maybe you'd want to do some reading during that time or some tickling cuddle games. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, a year long, you know, often uh, three or six months, and then you're done with that. But it it can Uh help quite a bit. And um, how receptive are uh, three and four-year-olds I could see being fairly receptive. I wonder how receptive a seven or eight-year-old would be to that. Usually what I do is put a a bottle out and see if the child gravitates towards that. And if they ask what that's for, say, well, you know, when you were very small, you didn't have the opportunity to really – well, we use opportunity with a child that age. But you never had that kind of lovely baby time where you could sit and, and be bed, fed by a bottle. And sometimes if you want to try that, not for anybody else to know about, but just for our family to know about, you know, we could do that. I put some juice in there and cuddle you and give you some of that, that cuddling and bottle feeding that you missed. And you can let me know if you're interested in that. And usually the kid will make some kind of dismissive comment, you know, like me, no, I'm too old for that. And then you can say it's up to you. You know, mm-hmm. leave it there. And then if they go forward towards it, then you can introduce it. If they're, like, completely uninterested, then you just, you know, donate it to the Goodwill. <laughs> Assume that was you know one of the many things that you're going to try in parenting. Some things work and some things don't. Yeah, excellent. Um, one of the things that that I particularly liked about the book, attaching in, attaching through love, hugs, and play, is the emphasis she put on play. I wrote a uh, a blog uh, article probably last year on the single most important parenting trick. Uh, that I've learned in my long years of parenting, and uh, and the the the, the, the my t- parenting tip was play with your kids, and and I think we so often think in terms of play when our children are very young, but uh, as uh, the mother of teens now and beyond, 
I am particularly appreciative, even more, it seems to me, uh, than when they're young, the importance of continuing uh, to play with our children as they as they age. It becomes more challenging as they age in a way, I think, but it's uh, uh, but also becomes more uh, mutually satisfying in some ways. I certainly agree, Don. I think that play is one of those areas that's wide open for building attachment. And we tend to be a a pretty serious society in some ways, very work-oriented, and we forget to do things that are not on the to-do list. And play (laughs) takes us off the to-do list. So we can just enjoy each other. So, and it's so creative, too, because everybody can do, you know, somebody might be into flying model airplanes. Somebody else could be into beating. You know, any of those can fall into the category of, and others into touch football, you know, or, or, or Frisbee or whatever. It's so open to uh, personal expression for both the adults and the child. Yes, it is. I was talking to some colleagues of mine about different ways in which we play with children, especially if they've had challenging beginnings. We came up with the idea of uh, a book of games that would help at every age and would include other members of the family. Anyway, that book will come out July 21, Uh, you know, games and activities to build attachment with your child. And it's under Deborah Gray and Megan Clark. The publication date is uh, July 21. I think I said May. Anyway, July 21. And uh, Jessica Kingsley Press is the publisher. Excellent. But, I, yeah, it, it, just knowing, oh, I can play this game now or I can play this game now. And, it, and putting yourself into a position where you're not thinking about work or you're not thinking about how much laundry has uh, piled up or not. You move into a more timeless, open frame of mind. Uh, you really do. You t- yes. Tell me some of the things that you do with your children. Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, well, not one of the things, um, I think it's, it, it, we've, as our children have aged, we have had to think through, okay, so what makes a, a good game to play as a family? And I'm not talking one-on-one because that's, that's open to just, and, and we do that as well. But for us, some of the, the, the criteria for games that work for us as a family uh, have been that it needs to be, have a, a little bit of skill element, but, uh, but a fair amount of luck element. And that allows the different skill sets uh, uh, to also, you know, to, to compete on pretty even playing field. We tend to play, I know this is a little unusual, but we tend to play uh, at the dinner table while we eat or after we eat. Uh, we have found that for us, it, it uh, stimulates conversation. Uh, and so that's, so we look for games that we can uh, do during that time. Uh, and then of course there's, you know, we, we play a lot of outdoor games. And again, we look for things that uh, different skills can, uh, different uh, ability levels can, can play. Our children are spread out over 10 years. So, yeah, but I would, but, but um, that's, that's what we do. Um, what about, tell me some of the games. I'm fascinated by the book because I think it's, I think it's terrific. Uh, so can you tell us some games that let's start with the, um, 
the preschool set. And then let's let's do them by ages, because I think that it really does matter um, the age of the of the child, obviously. Uh, so for the preschool set, what type of of games uh, do you just specifically would you recommend? Sure. And, you know, for some of the the let me mention, you know, the very small children, you know, infants up through toddlers. We have a list of of games and activities that can be done with them that are more more traditional. You know, the uh, mm-hmm. swinging where the child uh, comes towards you instead of away from you, and then you stroke the and tickle the bottom of their feet as they come to you. You can sing. You you swing away from me. You come back to me. You know, they're they're just tweaked enough that they have more attachment potential than some of the typical games. But in that next category, we do some things like have the child lie down, have the parents lie down. We trace bodies. You can use this, you know, from about four on up through 10, 12. You know, and, and, you know, you don't go clear up to the crotch. Uh, stop about six inches before the crotch, otherwise it's kind of a creepy. But you <laughs> lie down on big paper, <laughs> trace the outside of the adult, the outside of the child. You can always put a couple pieces of paper together for the adult. Then cut them out, decorate the faces, and you have paper people. And you can put the the parent holding the child. You can have the parent and the child taped up on the wall. Uh, with a book between them, you have big smiles. You make paper people together, and and that's you know, a fun kind. Go ahead. We did that when our children, or I did that when our children were young, and um, then I had uh, us go around and say something we liked about that person, and we wrote that in the in the interior of the people person. Uh, the and. Uh, uh, one child is, you know, I like how um, they're always helping me do blah, blah, blah. Another one was, I like how uh, I saved these and we've not all that long ago unrolled them and looked at them. Um, it, so-and-so was a good reader. So-and-so uh, is nice, you know, that type of thing. So that's also a fun way to um, take your people, uh, your, and then of course we stuck them on the walls to, uh, and anytime somebody saw something nice that person did, they could write it in the person too. <laughs> so yeah, that's a fun idea. Uh, so that that's could go all idea. the way. Sure. <laughs> what are can, some other games I, for say the 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 five and six and seven year olds, eight year olds, early early uh, elementary age? Yes, and um, I, sometimes we'll have kid of the day, and nobody knows that the child whose day it is. They don't know it's their, that that they've been nominated, and so if they have uh, a certain job to do, they go to do it and it's done. When it's time for dinner, there's an extra blueberry muffin on their plate. When they unpack their lunch at school, they find that they have two desserts and some kind of super duper sandwich, and all day they're just treated. And it's a it's a fun way to build self esteem and that sense of really being seen uh, in the family. We've, oh, that's a nice um, idea. Yeah. Well, they're they're just pleasant ideas that you can use to put a little zip into your family. Um, we I like to get a mural going. 
especially if you've got a time where there's going to be uh, a transition or two and a special event. Um, you can get long paper, put it out on a table, and then kids can work on different sections of that, if you, especially if you have, you know, two or three, four children in your family or even more. And each child then can draw something in that they want to remember. Uh, they can get help from some of the other kids in the families. They can all in the family or parents. And they express something that was important to them or something that they had a role in. And then that mural can be put along uh, side of, um, put along uh, like a long hall. You know, we mm -hmm. put it a little lower because children are a little lower and they want to see their handiwork. Uh, one thing that inevitably seems to happen is that somebody has some difficulty with their section of the mural. And they might exit out or uh, cover on somebody else, you know, because the kids aren't very good at uh, resolving conflicts at various ages. And so we simply do a do-over there and paste in a new section of paper and have a go at it one more time. And that works yeah. nicely. Uh, and for some of the kids who are more physical, we're going to want to have some games that are uh, physical games uh, like airplane ride for little kids and in, in the book that's coming out we have duck duck goose but there's an adaptation of duck duck goose you know so that it's more inclusive and those are fun games to do and but the whole idea is to get the family playful I when my kids were, were young I live in the Seattle area and it's pretty rainy and dark early here we used to clear uh, the furniture uh, in our, our big downstairs rec room off to the side, and we'd play soccer downstairs. Um, and, and it was just fun. Of course, we had to adapt all the rules for soccer, but mm -hmm. um, it made it more fun because we were doing something that was so unexpected. And then my daughters took ballet. My husband um, has a, a sturdy build. Uh, the ballet theater has never seen the likes of him. Anyway, he would he would uh, do ballet with my daughters and do lifts, and uh, you know it was just enormously fun to see him pirouette. Uh, <laughs> you know, he he managed to put on uh, a suitable um, artistic expression on his face, and you know it's pretty hilarious actually. You know, and my son would be part of the audience and throw flowers to the ballerinas. And, you know, they, it, it was it was a, a pretty fun time. We enjoyed flashlight tag. And with flashlight tag, it's like a traditional day game of tag. Except we played it in the evening, you know, especially before not too close to bedtime or the kids will never go down. They'll be so excited. But it, it's a good right after dinner game. Then after dinner, you turn off the lights, you play tag in the house, but you have flashlights for the person, or for people to, you know, get to base. Um, you know, there's also a variation of musical chairs you can play. And the only thing is, in this musical chair, everybody finds a lap. But what you're doing is you're taking 
games and in a real free-flowing way adapting them and uh, just having fun and letting your own creativity be part of it. At the same and allowing time, a certain though, amount of, of silliness is what I hear too, which uh, I think some adults have a harder time, uh, some parents have a harder time uh, allowing the silly side of them to come out. Um, and I don't suppose you always have to be if that's really something that's uncomfortable. Uh, as long as you're having a good time and your child is having a good time, it doesn't have to be. But um, you might find that being a little silly is um, is um, is actually quite freeing. Well, that's exactly it. When we get a little silly, our brains move into a different pattern. And that's a low-stress pattern that's more fun. A lot of parents who have children who have some attentional problems, kids don't know how to calm yet, they're afraid of getting silly because they're afraid they'll never get control back again. Mm-hmm. But if you never work on that with kids, then when will they learn it? And then you can end up with kind of a dreary um, home life. And you want to have an attitude with your family that it's a place where you can let your pressures down and have some fun, uh, where you're not necessarily teaching anything. Here's the secret of it. What we found is that play helps kids develop something called executive functioning. And that executive functioning uh, includes things like paying attention, figuring out what the main theme is, being able to be uh, people who elaborate on different things, generalizing instead of just seeing detail, detail, detail. They figure out how to keep themselves calm enough so that they can keep playing. They figure out how to satisfy a play partner so that that person enjoys playing the game. And those things are very fundamental to our well-being when we go into school, work in you know, groups, or later into any kind of social environment where we all have to get along. You want somebody who can have these capacities. And so, ironically, rather than uh, diminishing from our learning to spend time playing, we're actually building kids' capacities to learn. Yeah, I very much believe that makes good sense. We're going to come back in just a second. I did want to ask you a little bit more about uh, executive functioning and executive dysfunctioning. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today, we're talking about simple and fun strategies to build attachment with adopted kids. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can like our Facebook page, which is creating a family. I keep doing that. I keep giving the wrong, the, uh, the wrong address. It's facebook.com slash creating a family. That's our Facebook page. You can also join our very active Facebook support group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash creating a family. Or you can connect with me personally at dawn.davenport1. We also love Pinterest around here and Twitter. And on both Pinterest and Twitter, you can connect with us at Creating a Family. That's our, our Twitter handle and our Pinterest name as well. And on Pinterest, we have 
over 30 boards full of both inspiration, education, silliness, uh, child pictures, uh, adoption announcements. We have all sorts of visual things over there. So please, please join us. I did want to talk to you about um, executive functioning. Are adopted kids, especially those who've experienced you know, prenatal exposures, alcohol or drugs, uh, or abuse or neglect, are they at greater risk for low uh, executive functioning, or I guess that term would be executive dysfunction? Yes. So, so why is executive functioning important for attachment? Or mental well, health. It's important for for day to day well being in our very complicated society. Um, for listeners, when we talk about executive functioning, you can kind of think of the executive parts of the brain, the CEO, you know, chief executive officer part of the brain, and those are our higher level control centers, and they teach us how to stop and inhibit a little bit when we need to stop ourselves. And it helps us to tune in to what the other person is thinking and doing and be mindful of our own emotions so that we can calm down. It helps us to attend to something when it takes an effort. Not TV, which takes no effort, but when it takes an effort. And our executive functioning helps us to ignore things and attend to what we should be attending to. Uh, our executive functioning helps us to get the big picture. Instead of just seeing tree, 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 we see a forest. And then another really important thing is working memory. Uh, it helps us to uh, develop working memory so that we have like a short-term chalkboard in our brain and that we can keep enough on that short-term chalkboard that we know what we're supposed to be doing. There are other areas to it, but what we find is that after very high stress and or prenatal exposure, you know, whether it's the home brew in another country or alcohol in ours, um, what we find is that all of those things tend to uh, impact the brain so that the brain is more inclined to have trouble with executive functioning. And especially for kids who have high-stress beginnings, you know, neglect, maltreatment, malnutrition, exposure mm -hmm. to trauma, what we find is that the high rate of cortisol in their system is shaping the brain so that the brain is ready to respond go quickly. They they want to notice the outside details because that's adaptive. If you're noticing all these little details, then you can get ready to run. Inhibiting isn't necessarily in your favor if you're in a high-stress environment. Mm -hmm. Reacting quickly and doing something could save you. So, so what are some to, strategies... What are some strategies that parents can use every day to help improve their child's executive functioning? Well, ironically, play is one of those. And mm -hmm. then, you know, because it requires kids to, in a moment-to-moment -moment interaction, have to remember what they're supposed to be working on. But they can do little things. Like when kids come into my office, we decide what we'll be working on and how we'll work on that. And um, adapt 
Diamond in her Tools of the Mind. You could just Google that. Uh, Tools of the Mind is um, uh, an approach that a wonderful Russian uh, developmental psychologist, Vygotsky, educator, came up with many years ago. But it's been rediscovered and now is being elaborated by major research projects. What we're finding is that play requires kids to keep things in working memory, keep things on track, uh, satisfy the peer part, and so forth. But if you can have kids say, this is in the beginning of play, this is what we're going to work on in this manner, um, then they've just got a couple simple things that they're going to keep in their mind and it will help them organize themselves. Uh, when children uh, are developing executive functioning, one of the biggest things that we can do to help them calm down is to form a secure attachment. Because as they form a secure attachment, their cortisol level comes down and they start to feel safer. And then the brain has a period of recovery. If you have a highly anxious child, if you can list out what are we going to do for the day? Whether it's through pictures or they're a little older and they can read, you can put some time frames in. That'll mm -hmm. calm them down and see that the day has an order to it. So things aren't just coming at them. Um, you, yeah, routines are so darn important for children. Uh, and I also have come to believe that they're very important for parents, even parents who believe that they are that they that they really thrive on spontaneity. I think that when, especially when a, a newly adopted child is coming into the house, the whole family structure uh, is under stress, and that routines can provide uh, comfort to to the whole family. Have you seen that as well? Absolutely, and people in our culture often think of. Structure is not nurturing, but structure can be put in in a very nurturing way. Well, just think sometimes when you're in a new environment, don't you want to know uh, if you're at a retreat center or a conference, well, where are the meals? How comfortable is the bed? When mm -hmm. are the breaks? You know, everybody looks for those items. Children who have the little control in the world, they'll, they'll want to do that. But just stopping to consider with a child, oh, there are two or three ways we could do this. We could do this. Here are the pros and cons. There are this. We could do the pros and cons. Teaches them to hold an idea in their mind and compare it with another, pros and cons. And over time, they learn how to inhibit and also how to consider, how to reflect, how to assess. Um, I have little kids. Is young as seven, who will draw a line down the middle of the paper and write pros, cons. Now, they put it plus, minus, <laughs> not pros, cons, but they're already learning how to organize information and a flow of information. Also, if you have young kids and you're thinking of how you want to instruct them and you know that they've got some difficulties with attention or some difficulty in working memory, don't use so much verbal. Instead, use a lot of vision. Uh, our visual cortex allows us to juggle multiple streams of information and keep it organized. And if we think in terms of kids who have high stress, prenatal, 
exposure to toxins. They do much better with role plays where we practice. This is how we're going to do something. Or if we have pictures, and in those pictures, we describe flows of events or we can write down for them what they need to remember. So parents you know, could use that. We got a, an email from, uh, or a Facebook message, I think, from Jill, and she wants to know, how do we balance these activities and strategies uh, that you describe both here on the show as well as in the book, Attaching Through Love, Hugs, and Play? How do you balance that when you have other kids in the house and you work and you've got you know, to cook dinner? You've just, you've got a life. How do you add all of these activities into what's already a full schedule? Sure. Well, one of the things that I say, which is rather unpopular, but it leads to a sense of peace, is come up with a couple things that you're already doing that aren't really necessary and get rid of them. And if you're in a partnership or marriage, usually the other person has a pretty clear idea what those things might be. And work with a margin. Have a little extra time in your schedule. Because to do any kind of truly mindful parenting where you give yourself the ability to play, you have to reduce expectations on yourself. So Mm -hmm. that's one thing. I think that American families have never been under as much stress as they're under today. So, you know, stop satisfying so many people in your life. And, you know, I say this to women a little bit. Stop being such a good girl. (laughs) There there aren't very many uh, rewards for working as hard as we do. We work way too hard in, in, in our society, and it makes us dreary and a little depressed. But then our expectations lot, are for perfection sometimes when when good enough might well satisfy. Exactly that. And so what you want to do is give yourself a little time and think, okay, where's the twenty to thirty minutes a day that I could spend really playing with my children? What's can I give up that's preventing that? And then Some of the other things that I'm talking about are approaches that you can use with all the kids in the family. There isn't a child who can't benefit from more visual instead of uh, over-the-shoulder talking. And if you're using strategies that aren't working well for you anyway, a lot of times what we first do to the human condition is we do it the way that's not working, but we do it just a little more and a little harder. (laughs) (laughs) Or a little louder, in my case sometimes. If they're not listening, I'll just speak louder, which really is so ineffective. Well, and if you you know how the child who's got auditory uh, working memory problems, for some reason we think if we say things five times, (laughs) <laughs> we're working yes. harder but it's the, it's the same wrong way five times use some visuals instead and in the the book that we're discussing um, we I have many ways that you can discipline or teach children uh, how to work within your family structure where all all the information is adapted for kids who have some degree of executive functioning. It's 
it's just more effective parenting in the long yeah. run. You'll say for, for all the kids in the family, uh, regardless of whether the child is a newly adopted child, uh, your other children will benefit because it's, it's, you know, good parenting. You are listening to creating a family. We're talking today about fun and, uh, and easy strategies for creating attachment within your family. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletter. We have two weekly newsletters, one for adoption and one for infertility. We let you know about the latest developments as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topic. You can submit your questions, as some people have done for today's show. To sign up for our weekly newsletter, you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org, and it is in the top right-hand side of the uh, of every page of the site. When you in the book uh, attaching through love hugs and play, you talk about the importance of stories, our stories. Why are stories so important for our emotional health, both parents and children? I might add. For both of us, um, our life story gives us the framework through which we relate to others, and when we have something in our life that doesn't make sense to us, we tend to get confused and have stopped and starts. It's anxiety-provoking. When we're developing empathy for other people, what we often do is do this microsecond reflection on our own life. Oh, I remember when that happened to me, or, uh, you know, I can think about what I did in past situations when something similar happened, and therefore I will act this way. And so it becomes a source of real empathy. You know, all of us, when we see something, somebody fall down, uh, we're like very quickly, oh, you know, I know what that feels like. Let me help that person. Are you okay? You know, we move in because we know what, what that means. However, if you have a life story where you have trauma or a lot of grief, you haven't worked it through, when we get to that information, we tend to get confused and we'll freeze up or we'll say something that doesn't make sense or we won't respond in a way that's typically empathic because we never really figured out what that means to us. And so I've given some some tips, especially I, I gave a, a very large chapter on teens and life stories and what you want to be able to have accomplished for your teens. But we want teens to be able to have a life story that makes sense to them. A lot okay, of us could have you little give us some kids. specific. Let's be some specific examples of tweens and teens, um, because there is an entire chapter in the book which uh, talking about promoting attachment. And in specific, let's talk about how we. You just said we want our teens to understand the stories or have a story of their life. So, give us an example of 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 a story that we would want to be helping our teen, our uh, newly adopted teens, figure out about their life? Yes, and why don't I move not so much to a newly adopted uh, teen because most teens have been in the home for a period of time by the time they hit teenage years. Okay, that's good. For example, you know, if I have a 12 or 13-year-old from China, there are many children from China now who are, you know, in those, tween years. Um, Part of their life story might be an understanding of 
what ethnic group they were from in China. You know, whether that was significant or not. What's the role of women in China? Uh, what would it be like in China if they were from a rural province? And in that rural province, there were two girls. Or what if they were in, what if their mother would be a factory girl from China? And what would her options be to take that child back to her rural homeland? You know, those are the types of stories that we explore so the kids have enough of an understanding to know how limited decision making is in certain parts of China. Or I was talking to an executive from the Marriott. He said that um, one of the managers from the Marriott would take the permits from the people who worked underneath them, and those permits were their paper to have children. And so the Marriott was given a certain allotment. And the managers were given those allotments so they could have two children, which meant that somebody else could have one or none. And uh, hmm. in the Marriott hotel that they were at, I'm not trying to speak badly about Marriott, it's just this is the one I know of, and they were describing, um, you know, their, their tracking of all the women's cycles. And, you know, that's very commonplace. Uh, in certain urban settings. And just for people to have enough information to be able to know that someone went to some effort that they would in the world. Or the mm-hmm. often, um, you know, when children are brought to an orphanage, uh, they're, they're placed where they're going to be found quickly or placed at the police station so that they could be found quickly. You know, it's not that they weren't valued, but there just aren't options. And I think the kids really need to be able to think about how different it is. And then once you get to that point, they can explore a little bit more. Well, why couldn't they do this? Or why couldn't they do that? Are you sure it wasn't something about me? It's something that the kids will talk about. Some mm-hmm. kids are very, very elaborate about their thoughts and feelings about their birth mothers. Others, not so much. One girl listened to everything that was said, you know, and she had a lot of questions. And then she said, I want to be an architect. And I think I am just, like, way better having come to the U.S. and living in a family where my parents value my education. I don't think I would have this opportunity if I had stayed in this You know, she was from a very rural area, if I stayed in that rural area. Or Mm -hmm. one of the girls I'm working with now is uh, a teen at a very, she's moved on past our work, but she went on to a prominent art college. She's a phenomenal artist. And as she was going through her story, you know, she was like, what would it be like if my birth mother could see me now? But mm-hmm. she also was aware of some of the uh, tempera painting that had come out of her area and wondered if some of her artistic talents were part of that. You notice this nice integration mm-hmm. of information from the past and an acknowledgement that there is loss, there is pain on many levels, but enough processing 
so that then they feel that they have the that we've watered the roots of their self esteem. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that's uh, that's nice. Watered the roots yeah. of their self esteem. Yeah. Right. You know, Deborah. Every time we talk, we have way too much to talk about. <laughs> I have. So enjoyed uh, talking with you. I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, well, I, I, attaching adoption, I enjoyed as well. Uh, nurturing attachments, I've enjoyed, uh, as well as attaching through love, hugs, and play. I um, I really uh, recommend this book, and, and thank you again both for writing it and, and for being here. I'd like to take a moment and thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to uh, remind you that it is through their generous support of creating a family that this show, as well as our um, our support group and our website exists. We have independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in eight of them. We have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. They provide international domestic foster care as well as embryo donation adoption services through their Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. We also have Spence Chapin. They are a full-service adoption agency. Uh, they have international programs. They have domestic programs, and they also do kinship adoptions as well. If you have enjoyed this show, you could. we would really appreciate it if you would do us a favor and help us grow by rating this show on iTunes. We are the top-ranked uh, rated uh, uh, show in the areas of adoption and infertility on iTunes and would like to stay there. And it is through your ratings that that allows us to, uh, iTunes, to know uh, how to rank us. So we really would appreciate that. You could uh, do it if you are on iTunes, just type in the words creating a family and give us a ranking there. It's a star rating. Or you could go to the creatingafamily.org slash radio show, click on iTunes, and it will take you directly there. Thank you again, Deborah, for being our guest today. If you want to participate in a discussion of the topics of this blog, of this show, check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. To get more information on how to buy this book, well, first of all, just go to Amazon. You can get it there. You can go to your independent bookseller and ask them to get the book, or they may already have it. Um, so you can and buy the book, or you can go to, uh, there are two websites uh, that Deborah has. One is Deborah H. Gray, G R A Y dot com. And you can so link to me, the, Don, uh, it's Deborah D. Gray. Oh, did I get that wrong? Oh, you know what? Yes. I have that written correctly. I got the H off of Deborah. Right. <laughs> so sorry about that. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> Deborah with an H D Gray dot com. Let me spell that. I've really messed that one up. D E B O R A H D G R A Y dot com. Or the website nurturingattachments.com. Either way, you can get uh, additional information uh, on Deborah and on all of her books. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I would recommend all of them. Thank you so much for. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the. Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. 
I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.